0: Alright, welcome back to the Listener's Commentary. on Paul's Letter to the Romans. In this session, we're continuing our study of Chapter 2. We said in the last session that really Chapter 2 is one long, sustained argument that makes one point. We broke it into two recordings just for the sake of space and time so the recording didn't get too long and too out of hand. And so, in this session, we're continuing, really, the train of thought that was begun in chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. We'll be looking specifically at 17 through the end of the chapter. And in this section, Paul really is going to take up the mantle of the prophets now and begin to specifically drive home the point by accusing the Jews of being unfaithful to God, especially those Jews who are teachers think of Jesus to the Pharisees. Well, this is sort of Paul's version of that, where those who claim to be teachers, who claim to know the way, who claim to show other people the truth, he's really calling them out for their own versions of disobedience. Now, to set that clearly in context with the first half of chapter 2, remember that in the first half of chapter 2, what What Paul has said is, there you are, standing there, wagging your finger at other people for their shortcomings and their sins, the end of chapter 1, all that list of how just out-and-out pagans who don't know God, how they live, and all the wrong things they're doing, and Paul has said, look, if you are applauding that, and you condemn them, and then guess what? You're right. God holds people accountable for those things, and it doesn't matter whether you're a good moral person. doesn't matter whether you're a Jew. If you recognize that God holds people accountable for those things, and thus you applaud God for doing that, just know he's going to hold you accountable when you do the same sort of things, because God doesn't show partiality. So that's the first half of chapter uh, 2. And now here at this point, Paul picks up the theme and is going to really drive home this point specifically to Jews. He begins in verses 17 through 20 with really the Jewish self description, the way, particularly, those faithful, law abiding, uh, Pharisaic, teacher Jews would have described themselves, the way, really, the covenant of the Old Testament described the Jews. So, this is sort of the Jewish self description. In verses 17 through 20, and then from there he launches into a series of rhetorical questions that force the Jews, at least in some way, or at least drive home the point in some way, to help them see that just being a Jew, just having the Torah in and of itself doesn't make you faithful to God and faithful to the covenant. Let's begin in verses 17 through 20 with the Jewish self-description. This is what Paul says. But If you bear the name Jew, and you rely upon the law, and you boast in God, this is who the Jews are, right? And you know his will, and you approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So that's the Jewish self-description. Notice, you, you are the name Jew. That was the way the rest of the world thought of Jews. That's what the Jews describe themselves. You rely upon the law, the centrality of the Torah, God's instruction, God's wisdom for life. You boast in God, right? You know God's will. You approve the things that are right, good, essential. You're instructed out of the law. You're confident that you're a guide to the blind. That's why we say primarily teachers. You're, you're a guide to the blind. You're a light to those who are in darkness. You're a corrector of the foolish. You're a teacher of the immature. This is the Jewish self-description. So he begins with that. And then in verses 21 and following, he launches into this series of rhetorical questions to really drive home this point. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 21, You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Notice what he's doing here. He's picking out just some of the key 10 commandments stealing, adultery. And he's saying, Have you been unfaithful in any of these ways? Have you violated the covenant? Like, think about stealing. There's more than, you know, big ways to steal, right? There's other ways to do that. So, have you broken that? Have you been. Uh, a thief in some regard? Or you who say that you shouldn't commit adultery? Well, do you commit adultery? Again, think of Jesus to the Pharisees and Jesus to some of the Jews of his days and the way he held them accountable. Uh, For example, uh, when they brought the woman caught in adultery and Jesus writes in the dirt and then he stands up and says, you who are without sin, commit or cast the first stone. He's really calling them out. Maybe some of those had committed adultery themselves, right? Or perhaps think of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5 that you could be unfaithful to your marriage vows and thus be an adulterer in more than just the simple act of having sex with somebody who's not your spouse. You could do it by lust. You could do it by being unfaithful to your vows through divorce. That's the whole point of that section of the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so, There's more than one way to be unfaithful to your marriage vows. And so Paul, very much like Jesus and very much like the prophets of the Old Testament, now calling Israel and holding them uh, accountable for their own unfaithfulness to God's covenant. He goes on in verse 22 and says, You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Very little bit confusing to know exactly what he's getting at by do you rob temples. We do know in the ancient world that temple robbery was viewed as a particular heinous crime, and perhaps Paul is alluding to maybe a specific incident, maybe just a general practice of coveting gold and silver, or even taking it from temples. We don't really know exactly what Paul is getting at. His point is that you have your own form of wanting what idols can offer in some regard, Verse 23, he says, You who boast in the law, through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? And that is the chief point, the main point of these rhetorical questions, that you brag about the law, you boast in how great the law is, and yet you yourselves aren't always faithful to the law, and as a result, you dishonor God. You bring shame upon the name of God. And so in verse 24, he says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Uh, Perhaps an allusion to a passage like Isaiah 52, 5, or maybe uh, Ezekiel 36, verses 2, 3, and 4, that section in there. It's a theme throughout the prophets where the Jewish unfaithfulness to the covenant Cause the Gentiles to speak ill about of the name of God. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 36, God says that my holy name is profaned among the nations because of you. And so I'm going to act, God says, for the glory of my name, for the glory and the holiness of my name. God says, I'll defend my name. I will bring honor to my name because you have profaned my name among the nations. And Paul is really... Driving home that same point, much like the prophets of old, where he's saying, here is Israel in these days, you know, their own day and age, his day and age. And yet they're scattered among the nations. And yet because of their own unfaithfulness to the law, they are bringing shame on the name of God. In context, Paul's point is, so just having the name Jew. And just knowing the Torah and having that as a gift in and of itself gives you no advantage before God. Knowing the law doesn't make you a keeper of the law. Knowing the law doesn't make you faithful to the covenant. Now, in verses 25 through 29, Paul goes even further and he narrows down the focus, not just to having the law, but specifically even to the covenant mark of circumcision. Again, we have to keep in mind how central circumcision was to the Jewish mindset as a nation, as a people, that over the course of their history they have suffered and died. They've had babies killed for the sake of circumcision. It has now become really melded in their consciousness as like, this is the mark of God's faithful people. And we believe it so strongly that we will even risk our lives for the sake of circumcision. You can read some of that in the time period between Malachi and Matthew, the intertestamental time period, uh, there's stories of just suffering because of this mark of circumcision. And so it is a crucial covenant mark given uh, to the Jews by God in the Old Testament. And yet what Paul is going to say is circumcision in and of itself doesn't make you a faithful Jew. Just because you're circumcised doesn't mean you're faithful to the covenant. Listen to what he says in verse 25. He says, For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. So if you wear the covenant mark of circumcision, that's great if you actually keep the covenant, if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, if you break the law, your circumcision has effectively become uncircumcision. It's like, what difference does it make? Just because you're a circumcised person yet you're unfaithful to Yahweh, you're still unfaithful even though you're circumcised, right? That's his point, verse 26. So, if the uncircumcised man, i.e. a Gentile, an uncircumcised man, keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Paul has already dealt with this earlier in chapter 2, where he's talked about uh, that there are uncircumcised people who, keep the law, right? Like verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having a law are a law to themselves, and that they show the work of the law written on their hearts. Uh, That if you're a Gentile, if you're uncircumcised, but you actually keep the requirements of the law, you don't steal, you're faithful to your spouse, right? You love your neighbor, well, then, won't your uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? This little mark of the flesh, circumcision, Paul is saying, is not the end all be all. There's more to being a, a covenant faithful Jew than just being circumcised. Verse 27, he says, and he was physically uncircumcised. That word physically is important there because Paul's going to go on and talk about. Uh, the circumcision of the heart here, and shows up elsewhere in Paul's letter, such as Colossians chapter 2. So he wants to make this really clear that there's a physical circumcision and a physical uncircumcision, but there's a deeper, more profound circumcision that all people, Jew and Gentile alike, need. So, And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law And having circumcision are a transgressor of the law. And so if you have the law, and if you are circumcised, but you don't keep the law, you're a violator of the law, doesn't the physically uncircumcised person, doesn't he have, therefore, the the place to judge you? Because he keeps the law better than you. He's more faithful to the law than you. For, Paul says, and here's the point he's making, For verse twenty-eight, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision—the one that circumcision—that really matters—is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men but from God. Now, Paul here really echoes a very important Old Testament prophetic theme that because of Israel's unfaithfulness, because of their hardness of heart, they would be unfaithful to the covenant and they would suffer exile. That shows up in Deuteronomy, like when the covenant is being Re kind of communicated for that new generation that's about to enter the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses warns them of the the blessings of keeping the covenant, the curses of breaking the covenant. The ultimate curse would be being expelled from the land they're about to go in and take because they were unfaithful to the covenant now. And so he warns them that if they're unfaithful, that's what's going to happen. God's going to expel them from the land. And Moses says, and that really is what's going to happen. He knows in advance that's what's going to happen. And in that context, in Deuteronomy, Moses uh, actually talks about this idea of circumcision of your heart. He actually says, so when you're expelled from the land, God will eventually gather you back, bring you back into your land, gather you from all the nations, bring you back. And not only that, verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 30 Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul that you may live. And so this theme, actually, right from the beginning of of the nation of Israel, this theme of circumcision of the heart uh, becomes well known. That there's going to need to be a deeper circumcision than just physical circumcision. Why? Because Israel's heart is hard. It's unfaithful. Um, And Paul has taught here and elsewhere that in now the coming of Messiah and the gift of the Spirit, God has done this. He has brought about that circumcision of the heart, which then will actually lead to genuine, faithful obedience and loyalty to God. And so he says here that the true Jew is the Jew who has been circumcised of the heart, the true Jew is the one who has been filled with the Spirit and not merely with the Torah, not merely with the letter. And his praise is not just from men, right? He's not just getting the applause of men because he's kept the, the mark of the covenant by being circumcised unless everyone knows he's a Jew. His praise is from God. And ultimately, what Paul is getting at is that God is not, God is impartial. He holds all people accountable. He knows the truth about people, right? And so the key thing is being a person who is circumcised of the heart and thus actually lives out God's expectations. Not just saying you're a Jew, not just having the law, not just bearing the covenant mark, but actually keeping the covenant, being faithful to God. And God now has done that in and through and by the Spirit. Paul will come back to that in Romans chapter 8 where he talks about how the Spirit uh, will actually enable people to keep the righteous requirement of the law. So we'll see that again down the road here in Romans chapter 8. So to summarize chapter 2, the main idea of chapter 2 is that God will judge lawbreakers regardless of heritage. He will judge lawbreakers. He will judge a Jewish lawbreaker, he will judge a Gentile law, lawbreaker. And thus in view of their unfaithfulness to God and his covenant, even Jews and the Jewish nation cannot like they cannot claim any advantage before God. And the reason for this is because God's an impartial judge. Gentiles stand condemned for failing to keep the Torah that they know. Israel stands condemned For failing to keep the Torah that God gave it and it knows, knowing that something is wrong, even condemning something as wrong, means very little if you do wrong yourself. Possessing the Torah and circumcision in and of themselves provide no advantage to Israel, to the Jews, at the final judgment before God. God will hold lawbreakers accountable regardless of their heritage, Jew or Gentile, and so At this point, Paul is ready now to drive home the point that all people, all people, stand before God guilty as charged. So after a little bit more at the beginning of chapter 3 about the advantage of the Jews, Paul then will drive home that point before then he tells how God solved the problem.